Chapter 5 of A Game of Chance by a Self-Made Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 In Which Squire Jarvis Visits the Summer's Home The quaint little Dutch timepiece, which Captain Fairweather had brought in from Holland some years before, and afterward presented to Nathaniel Summers, his neighbor, which occupied a conspicuous position on the mantle of the sitting-room in the Summer's home, had just struck the hour of eight, when a loud, authoritative knock came on the front door. "'I wonder who that can be,' said Mrs. Summers, looking up in mild wonder. Will, who was poring over a new book on practical engineering which he had got from the town public library, jumped up and went to the door. He was surprised and perhaps not a little apprehensive to find that the visitor was none other than the pompous Squire Jarvis. What could be the meaning of this great man's visit to their humble home?' "'Is Mrs. Summers at home?' asked the lawyer stiffly. "'Yes, sir,' replied Will respectfully. "'Will you walk in?' Squire Jarvis brushed past the boy with as little consideration as though he was a wooden image, and Mrs. Summers rose hastily from her chair as his portly form filled the door leading into the sitting-room. "'Squire Jarvis!' she exclaimed in surprise. "'Yes, ma'am.' answered the nabob in a tone that seemed to indicate that he was conferring a distinguished honor on the cottage by his presence there. "'Take the rocking chair,' said the lady of the house, pointing to a substantial piece of furniture that was the pride of the house. The squire bowed condescendingly, seated himself, and glanced curiously about the room. Mrs. Summers reseated herself and waited for the great man to explain the nature of his unexpected call. <clears throat> "'Ma'am?' began the squire, feeling that what he had to say was not likely to cause a pleasant impression. "'I have called in reference to a little matter that has been placed in my hands.' Mrs. Summers bowed and waited for him to proceed. At this moment Will re-entered the room, and took up a position in the background, curious to learn, as he half-suspected, if he was the cause of the magnate's visit. He was soon undeceived." I refer to a note of hand signed by your late husband in favor of Joe Brickson for the sum of three hundred dollars. The note, continued the squire, fishing out his glasses and poising them with a sort of professional movement upon the bridge of his aristocratic nose, and then taking out a bulky Morocco pocketbook from which he deliberately extracted the document in question, is dated February 1st, 1895 and expired one year from the date, when it became due and payable according to the terms therein expressed. It should have been presented for payment at that time, but your husband, having died in the meanwhile, leaving you <coughs> in somewhat straitened circumstances so far as ready money was concerned, Mr. Rickson refrained from calling immediately on you for the amount owing him, feeling sure you would recognize his claim as soon as you were in a position less financially embarrassing. While this was not business, it reflects a great credit on Mr. Rickson's goodness of heart, a fact, I regret to say, not generally appreciated by his acquaintances. In fact, he has delayed so long in the presentation of this note that it is now within a few months of the time when, according to the laws of the State, it would have become outlawed and consequently worthless. Fortunately, he called my attention to it, and I advised him to collect it at once, and so he turned it over to me for that purpose. Therefore, 
I should be glad to learn what you are prepared to do about it. Squire Jarvis, having delivered himself of the foregoing in his most impressive manner, he removed his glasses from their perch and began to twirl them around his index finger while he regarded the little brown-haired widow with a judicial sort of look, possibly with the view of confusing and intimidating her. Mrs. Summers had listened to him with the utmost amazement, but politely forbore interrupting him. But when he had concluded, she said quietly, "'That note was taken up by my husband a few days before his death and paid.' "'Paid, madam?' ejaculated the lawyer. "'Yes, sir, and Mr. Rickson gave my husband a receipt for the money. "'You certainly are laboring under a misapprehension of the facts.' If your husband paid this note, it stands to reason it would not now be in the possession of Mr. Rickson. When a note is settled, it is always delivered to the person who drew it, by whom it is or should be immediately destroyed. I think I can account for the fact that it happens to be in Mr. Rickson's possession, said Mrs. Somers, a slight note of scorn in her tone. I am ready to hear any explanation you have to make, said the lawyer stiffly. That he presents it at this late day for repayment does not speak well for the goodness of heart you have just credited him with, said the little lady coldly. Ma'am, interrupted Squire Jarvis severely, you must not attack the character of such an old and respected citizen as Mr. Rickson. I was about to explain to you why Mr. Summers did not get possession of that note at the time he paid the money. The note still had several months to run when he expressed his intention of taking it up. Mr. Rickson at first objected, but when my husband offered him the year's interest, he accepted the money and gave a receipt for the same, saying he would give up the note in a few days as soon as he got it from the bank, where he had deposited it for safekeeping. My husband, promptly feeling that he was protected by the receipt, did not hurry him. In fact, before he may have thought of the matter again, he met with the accident which resulted, unfortunately for himself and family, in his premature death. Mrs. Summers paused and wiped away a tear. Your statement is certainly plausible, admitted Squire Jarvis, beginning to fear he had called on a fool's errand, after all, and that the unsavory reputation Mr. Rickson bore in town, with which the squire was familiar, was once more cropping up in evidence. If you have Mr. Rickson's receipt for the three hundred dollars, of course I shall have nothing more to say. I am not responsible for any act of Mr. Rickson's, ma'am, being merely his agent in the matter. If it is not too much trouble, will you kindly produce the receipt, so that I may convince myself of its genuineness? I am sorry to say that the receipt has been mislaid ever since my husband's death, replied Mrs. Summers, not without some apprehension as to what effect this honest admission would have on the lawyer. "'Miss Laid, ma'am,' exclaimed the squire, raising his eyebrows in a way that might have implied that he thought such a statement rather thin. "'Yes, sir,' replied the little widow, with a slight touch of indignation in her voice, for the squire's pantomime had not escaped her. "'Very singular,' he remarked, tapping the note with his glasses. Very singular, indeed. I hope you don't think I'm not telling the truth, with a quiet scorn that disturbed him. Not at all, not at all, he replied hastily. I never doubt a lady's word, but... P. 
People are often mistaken, ma'am. You— There is no mistake in this case, Squire Jarvis, said Mrs. Summers firmly. I regret to say that I have not been able to find the receipt. As Mr. Rickson made no effort to recollect the note when it became due, nor at any time during the years that have since elapsed, I naturally presumed it was all right, and gave no further thought to the matter. I must say it is a singular thing for him to present it for payment now, within a few weeks of the time when, as you say, it would have become outlawed. I will not express my opinion as to his motives, but will leave you to judge that yourself. Well, ma'am, said the wily lawyer, scratching the point of his nose with the rim of his glasses, it is certainly unfortunate that you cannot produce the receipt. As the case stands, Mr. Rickson has the law on his side, and so, unless you can find the receipt, I am afraid you will have to pay the money over again. But, sir, cried the widow aghast, that would be most unjust. The law, ma'am, passes only upon facts. It has nothing whatever to do with sentiment. People should not be careless. Therein lies the cause of much trouble in this world, that we lawyers are often called upon to unravel, and not always with success. If your husband had insisted upon the immediate return of the note, which was well within his rights, or you had not lost the receipt, which would to all intents and purposes answer the same end, you would not now be in this trouble. I consider it an outrage that Mr. Rickson should make this demand when he well knows that he was paid once, cried Mrs. Summers in great indignation. With that I have nothing whatever to do, ma'am, said the nabob, rising and taking his hat. I am simply acting on the instructions of my client with the evidence he has produced, and which you seem unable to gainsay. I will give you a week to consider what you will do, at the end of which time I shall expect you to call or send to my office and advise me of your determination. But I cannot agree to pay that note over again, she said almost tearfully. In that case, the law will have to take its course. Do you mean to say, sir, that the law will rob my mother of another three hundred dollars? demanded Will, facing the magnate of Northport. Squire Jarvis glared at the boy as though astonished at the lad's audacity in addressing him so boldly. I mean to say, young man, that your mother will have to go to court and show cause why judgment on this note, together with interest to date, shall not be rendered in favor of Mr. Rickson. If she loses what she is bound to do, unless she produces the alleged receipt, she will also have to pay the costs of the action, which will raise the total amount to something over four hundred and fifty dollars. And we refuse to pay that, said the boy with flashing eyes. The lawyer shrugged his shoulders. This property which is in your mother's name will be sold to satisfy the judgment, and the expenses of the sale, with the sheriff's fees, will also be added to the sum I have mentioned. You shall find it a costly matter to fight against the law. I advise you not to try it. Thus speaking, Squire Jarvis walked majestically toward the front door, and Will, oppressed by a sense of utter helplessness to resist the swindle about to be perpetuated on his mother, followed and let him out. End of chapter 5